Welcome to episode 63. Do you have trouble sleeping or maybe you wake up each day feeling unrefreshed or lethargic every day? You know, that moment that you open your eyes and you're like, oh, this life again, (laughs) this waking up thing again. (laughs) If that's you, well, I'm going to touch on a few reasons as to why that might be so. But more importantly, I'm going to give you some tips and tricks to improve the quality of your sleep. So when you do wake up, you're actually a little bit excited to still be alive. (laughs) Let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? How you been? Well, I hope I'm getting plenty of rest because we're talking about sleep today, so I hope you're well rested before you listen to this. (laughs) And well, if you are listening, then maybe it's not so well rested. (laughs) It's okay, this is a safe place, you can admit it. (laughs) It's my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the healthy lifestyle that they truly want before December 2020. And an important part of everyone's healthy lifestyle, whether you like it or not, irrelevant of your sexual orientation, irrelevant of your career choice, is sleep. And so, there's a bunch of podcasts I've already done with some amazing guests on sleep, if you have a bit of a scroll after this one. Um, And in the early days, the early days, almost a year ago now, um, I did an interview with the very lovely Kate Keegan called Sitting on the Edge of Sleep. She's a narcoleptic and sleep expert. So, that's episode 24. Um, She's amazing. I really need to get her back on the show. Um, And Kate, if you're listening, hey, what's up? (laughs) Um, Speaking of guests, I've got so many amazing guests coming. I I do a lot of the uh, interviews that are based in Melbourne in bulk and so I literally just book out a whole and if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook you would see this I book out a whole day at a studio and just go back to back to back to back to back just um, smashing out amazing content and I tell you what the quality of guests that I have interviewed and have ready for you to go are coming out in the you know coming month or two it's just next level I guess I have you to thank for that because this podcast is becoming so, uh, I guess, big, <laughs> successful. I don't know what word to use. Um, but it's it's getting such a following that, you know, people are really considering this a place of value to share their message. So, I thank you for that primarily. But um, alongside that, I thank the amazing guests that are, you know, attracted to it, listening to it. And so, if you're one of those people that's been on the show before... Thanks for being here. And if you're a regular listener, I've got some cool stuff coming, (laughs) which I'm really excited to share with you. All right. So, what are we talking about today? We're talking about sleep. And why are we talking about sleep? We're talking about sleep because we have, generally speaking, we have poor sleep patterns. And interestingly, it's taken Mother Nature millions of years to figure out how to get the optimal human body. And just in the last 50, 60, 70, 100, 200 years, we uh, have managed to find almost every possible way to fuck up our human body. (laughs) Whether it be sleep, whether it be diet, whether it be, you know, the ingestion of chemicals and drugs and, you know, we've just found every possible way to mess with our body, whether it be through silly dietary choices that, 
you know, deplete the body, whatever. But one of the most common things across every demographic, across every, you know, race, across every, every you know, category or parameter that separates us, one of the primary features that exists is consistent sleep deprivation, which is one of the worst things. And interestingly, if you deal with any natural health practitioners, like myself being a nutritional therapist, or you deal with a naturopath or TCM, most most of us are all going to tell you that sleep is the primary health variable. And look, to be honest, um, even in Western medicine, it's becoming a very well-researched field to understand the importance of sleep in the operating of your immune system and the operating of all of your normal functions. And so, at, towards the end of this today, I'm going to give you my five top tips, top five tips, however you want to say it, um, for getting better quality sleep, deeper, more profound, more useful when you wake up, etc., etc. But I want to just talk quickly as to why, why this is important. Like, I want to give you a couple of reasons that really just are scary, to be honest. Like, I, I was trying to pick the right words there, and this is a reality. This, this horrendous realities of, of cutting your sleep short, right? And so, it's important to understand, firstly, that the average human, and the average means the extreme vast majority, um, can require or requires seven to nine hours sleep every single night. And it takes as little as one night on less than required sleep in order to see clearly evidenced biological problems the, the very next day, which is really scary because most of, most of us have been running on sleep deprivation for years, right? And so, one of the interesting things is that poor sleep is one of the most significant determining factors in you developing Alzheimer's disease and dementia, right? Which is really scary because the rates of that are going up and up and up and up. And this is not surprising if it's so so. Uh, deeply tied to sleep quality when we're just getting busier and busier and more distracted and more distracted. So, no wonder Alzheimer's is going up because in its diagnosis rate, because each generation, each person born is have, has new distractions, has new complexities, has new problems, new stresses on top of all the old ones that we all used to have, right? So, it's not surprising. And this happens because at night, your brain has some type of cleaning function. So, you know the lymphatic system? You might have heard of that. It's a it's a drainage system throughout your, your body. Well, in your brain, there's the glymphatic system because they use glial cells, right? And the glymphatic system helps drain out your brain of crap, primarily beta amyloids, which is a protein that is in your brain and it builds up when you're awake. These proteins build and build and build and at night, the glymphatic system drains out these. And they're the most prominent pro- uh, protein in the beta amyloid plaques. Now, a buildup, an excessive buildup of beta amyloid plaques is what essentially creates Alzheimer's disease and is the most uh, deterministic feature of having Alzheimer's is, and that's what they research. And I have very close friends that research this exact stuff in um, and, uh, mice and rat models um, with the amyloid beta plaques in the brain. And if we're not getting enough sleep, then obviously we're, we're not allowing the glymphatic system to actually empty out the brain of these proteins which contribute to this toxic disease. The next one is interesting. You literally get dumber. 
Who wants that? <laughs> Nobody wants that, right? Now, you've heard me talk about this, this um, part of the brain before. So, it's the hippocampus. So, you would have heard me talk about this if you listen to the podcast regularly in the context of fat loss and the context of high sugar and high carb diets. So, the hippocampus, if you put your finger in the middle of the top of your head and point down your body and if you put a finger underneath your, um, underneath your chin, like right up against your throat and the point above, in, below your skull, in the middle of your brain, at the base of your brain, in between that those that line you've just created is where the hippocampus lives. And the hippocampus is damaged severely by uh, sugar and carb diets. And interestingly, it's also damaged by sleep deprivation. Now, the hippocampus deals with memory and the accessing of uh, messages and the distribution of messages. So, it's um, a significant point in the brain in which the um, information from your gut climbs up to your brain to tell your brain how to behave and how how the body should respond to certain situations and and damaging this organ is a big reason for overeating and then causing obesity because this is your gut where your gut sends the signals up and that lands in the hippocampus that says stop eating we've got enough but when the hippocampus is damaged because of sleep deprivation or high sugar carb diets which most people are suffering both of those things and causing twice the problems then the brain can't actually tell the body to stop or, or the right part of the brain to stop because it's not getting the message. The hippocampus is damaged, right? So, and, and if you think about intelligence, like your IQ, really in the context of the world, IQ is just your capacity to access memory at speed, right? That's really what IQ is, okay? And if your hippocampus is damaged and deals with memory access, then you essentially get dumber because by the way in which we measure measure intelligence being just remembering shit you learned one time really fast so that you can solve the current problem, then lack of sleep literally makes you dumber. The other thing is that it makes you consume way more calories because when you're tired, you reduce function to the prefrontal cortex, that bit if you put your finger in the middle of your forehead, that's the prefrontal cortex. This is where all your logical and rational thinking uh, exists, right? And as you get more and more tired, your your body withdraws function from that part of the brain to conserve energy, right? And focus on survival mechanisms because the more tired you get, the more at risk of not surviving you get, of dying, right? (laughs) So, your body withdraws functions and, and, and starts prioritizing the essential survival parts of the brain. And so, what does this mean? It means that you end up consuming more calories and also shittier calories, ones that deteriorate your biology far more rapidly than, you know, a piece of salmon and some spinach, right? So, and why does that happen? Because it's in survival mode so your brain is always going to go for you know the high calorie high energy foods to stay alive because you're already already awake longer than you should be so you need additional energy than you would normally need and because you've just lost that rational logical thinking at the front of your brain so when you pick up the chocolate bar you think fuck it (laughs) i'm doing it instead of being like oh no you know i don't really need chocolate i've had sufficient nutrients today and i feel okay and i know that eating this would just be an unideal choice right now you lose that function. So, sleeping leads to overeating. And I've done an entire episode, and I'm just going to do a bit of a scroll and find it here. Um, It is episode 43, the relationship between sleep and fat loss. I highly recommend you go and check out that one that I did last year. Anyway, the next one. Four, reduces aging and longevity, okay? So, you need the same amount of sleep your entire life. A lot of people get on the brag bandwagon, especially entrepreneurs and especially, you know, people are hustling up the corporate ladder at work. They're like, 
Yeah, I was at the office till midnight and uh, rocked in at 4.30 just because I'm wicked. (laughs) The interesting thing is, based on what we already know, you're literally bragging about getting dumber, so you get to work super early and you are not anywhere near the capacity you could be at if you just prioritised your sleep. And the interesting thing is, too, is that you actually, if you're not in a good sleep routine, like a good pattern when you're in your 20s, 30s and 40s, then you're kind of screwing yourself over for later in life because you know that old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it? Well, it's interesting because the same thing happens with the deep sleep sections of your brain. So, in your 20s and 30s and 40s, if you're not actually utilizing that part of the brain that generates the deep sleep cycles then you literally, it starts to atrophy. Those cells start to die. And so, that part of the brain will begin to degenerate and coincidentally is the, bit of the, is the part of the brain that helps deep sleep, <laughs> that controls those deep sleep cycles. So, you need to get in a good sleep routine and a good sleep habit in your 20s, 30s and 40s before your brain's been like, oh, we actually haven't used this neuron or these neurons or this muscle for so long that we, just, we might as well just kill it. It might as well just die because it's a waste of energy having it here. So, right, you, so you really need to re-stimulate that part of your brain. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I've slept like this for years. I can't really get more than six hours. It's just like going to the gym. You don't walk in and bench press, uh, ben- <laughs> you don't walk in and bench press 150 kilos, do you? You start at 40 or wherever you start and you work up. So, it's the same with your sleep. If you've been stuck at five hours sleep for 10 years, guess what? For the next month, we're going to try five and a half and then progress from there, right? One tweak a week kind of mentality progressing. And the big the big guy on online, the professor in sleep, Matthew Walker, very famous, done lots of TED Talks, lots of talks at Google, just has a phenomenal couple of books about sleep and really bringing sleep to the front of the, the medical forefront for on, on every single modality and he's just a brilliant speaker as well. He talks a lot about men's balls, <laughs> testicles. He starts a lot of his talks like that because um, it catches people's attention, I guess. And he states regularly that men frequently, that men that have sleep less than, or frequent sleep less than seven hours, have significantly smaller testicles than men that regularly have seven or more hours. Remember, seven or more is where virtually every human is required to sleep in order to not be impaired the next day. And the effects of, of this on your testicles obviously then affects your hormones and will have some effect on fertility and likelihood of um, conception and those types of things. But it leads to, then le- that then leads into the fact that the decrease in testosterone levels with men that sleep regularly at four to five hours, and this is a shout out to all of you workaholics that think working longer and harder is better, and it's not keeping you manly. It's not, you, you know, it's not being that alpha male by like being, look, I'm in there. Because literally, the earlier you go to work and the later you go to bed, the smaller your masculinity is literally getting. <laughs> but the point is, sorry, I'm getting a bit sidetracked, is that the, the men that sleep four to five hours per night, they literally have a testosterone level that reflects someone 10 years their senior. And t- and the interesting thing is in men, particularly, is that testosterone levels are really strongly connected with your success, with your drive, with your motivation, with that competitive instinct that is, you know, deep within your DNA, which is about survival of the fittest and, you know, being the leader and, and whatnot. So, if your testosterone levels are 10 times or, you know, that of someone 10 times older, then you are putting yourself behind the eight ball, right? You're sabotaging yourself. So, 
The important thing is to know that there's a ton of things that actually are negatively affected when your sleep is all over the shop. So energy levels, you know, can be lead to diabetes through overeating and obesity because you're awake too long. It's just a ton of stuff. And it's, it, the point is to understand that it's the foundational health variable that everything sits upon. If you have bad sleep, your relationships are a bit shittier that day. Your emotional management is a bit shittier that day. You're more stressed. Things are more disorganized. It's harder to get control of things. You eat shittier food. Like it's sleep underpins the lot. And that's why I've got these five bangers that I use to optimize sleep, to make it absolutely amazing and get it deep. And these things will take an adjustment period, right? Some of these things, actually all of these things, you could literally start tomorrow, but it might just take a couple of weeks of your, your body getting used to this situation before it really sinks into the deep sleep cycles. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. So number one. My favorite. I grew up in the country, so it was, you know, it was a very peaceful, quiet world. And now I live in North Melbourne. Like I live (laughs) five minutes from the CBD of one of the busiest cities in Australia. And it's bloody loud and loud in ways that only country people can really know what I mean. There's just the hum, just the hum of the city. And so number one is earplugs. And this took, took an adjustment for me too, even though I wanted peace and quiet earplugs because the more that you reduce the sense uh, sensory input into your body during sleep the deeper your sleep will be able to be because the more sensory input that you put into your body means that you the more things that your brain is monitoring because your your body's always monitoring its environment whether you're asleep or not because it doesn't want to die right so you need to make that environment as calm and safe as possible so your brain doesn't have to while you're asleep do all of this work of sifting through noises sifting through sounds sifting through light so that it can figure out, is there a danger here? Is there not a danger here? There's so much going on. And so, you want it to be really, really quiet, as quiet as possible, right? And so, earplugs are number one. Number two, going along with this sensory input thing is a sleep mask. Now, this definitely took me a while to get used to and, and you know, I sometimes still don't use it all the time but it's backed up by the next point as well. But a sleep mask is the same thing. You're avoiding light going into your eyes which is one of the most important ways that your body will wake up or prevent itself going into deep sleep. And with city lights coming in my window, it's really, you know, it's really damaging to the, the depth of sleep that I could be getting 
thing if I allow light in my room, in my in any way, right? Even your skin cells know in some way that there is light in the room and to detect that because, right, our skin metabolizes vitamin D from the sun, right? So, it knows when there's light. It's not just your eyes that are the thing that take in this uh, information and then tell your brain that, oh, there's light in the room. Okay, so sleep mask. Number three is kind of you can swap out for the sleep mask or you can do both. And this is get to get blackout curtains. Now, I have those, but the next bit is even more important. You want to Velcro those curtains to the wall. You don't want any light coming in because, again, this is about sensory input. You want your room to be pitch black, not a single spot of light coming in. Again, sensory input. We're trying to reduce sensory input as low as possible so that we do not have messages going to the brain saying that, oh, is it day, is it night? We don't really know. Is there a danger going on? We're reducing our mental load when we're asleep so that we can actually get into deep sleep, okay? We want it to be super quiet and as dark as possible. And the darker, the better. They've done studies on this and they've actually done studies on uh, people that live in the city and have light constantly coming through their bedroom curtains that they uh, that I don't think are a priority um, and it actually can be linked to cancer. You know, I'll go into that study at an, on another time but that's the crux of it is that if people aren't sleeping deep enough and, and have light coming in, in through their window all the time or, or under the door from somebody else staying up too late or, or, you know, your housemate being a night owl or whatever, get blackout curtains and get little, little Velcro dots. I've got them all over my curtains and I Velcro them to the wall every single night so that it's pitch black and it's amazing. My sleep is so much better. The next one is to keep a cool bedroom. The body needs to be able to slip into a bit of a colder environment in order for the brain to slip into those deeper sleep cycles. If we're sleeping too hot, our brain will struggle to slip into deep sleep cycles, which is why during summer in Australia, you always feel knackered. Even if you've had eight hours sleep, I don't have an air conditioner at my house so this is a real problem for me is that it's very hot through summer and it's just it's very hard for me to get good deep sleep cycles so it's a struggle but during well all, all times of the year but you want the bedroom to be cool so that you body, your body can slip into that deep sleep it's like you know so many people wake up sweating or wake up too hot and thrown or wake up and the blankets have been thrown off it's because your body is seeking a colder temperature to get into deeper sleep and 18 degrees celsius is usually about the sweet spot number 5 is my favorite and i'm actually recording this podcast at night so i'm actually using this stuff right now and that is red light filters and blue blockers. So, the most important one here is like there's a lot of debate about blue blockers but the red light filters you really can't argue with because they're bright red. Like the screens on my computer that I'm looking at right now are deep red and the setting, the basic settings on most phones do not go anywhere near what you need. So, I highly recommend down, downloading like the Twilight app on Android you, you can, and I've actually subscribed and pay a couple bucks a month to the um, app called Iris, I-R-I-S uh, for my computer. The settings are phenomenal. By far the best. I've, I've tested a bunch of apps. Flux, it's okay, but it's nowhere near as good as the Iris app. Cost, yeah, it cost me two bucks a month. It's a bargain. But this is because when blue and white light enters our eyes, and this is the same reason for keeping uh, light out of our room and wearing a sleep mask or plugging up the Velcroing the curtains, is because when blue and white light enter our eyes, our, it tells our brain that it's daytime because genetically our body is only programmed to see blue 
blue and white light when the sun is out. And so uh, it, it prevents the brain releasing melatonin, which is a hormone that helps our body go into deep sleep. And interestingly, it can take from two to four hours for our body to release melatonin after it's seen blue or white light. So think about going to bed, say it's 11, and you look at your phone at 11 o'clock and you're like, all right, yeah, put the alarm on, go to sleep. So the last time that you saw blue and white light and probably an absolute abundance of it at a brightness that is just so unnatural for that time of night, your brain might not actually be going to sleep or entering a deep sleep cycle. Even if you got eight hours unconscious, your brain might not actually enter a deep sleep cycle until 3 a.m., right? And then you get up at what, seven, eight? You've only had one, maybe two deep sleep cycles when technically in that time of being asleep, if you were living in a natural environment, you would have got four deep sleep cycles and therefore double the amount of benefits, double the recovery, double the energy levels the next day, etc., etc., etc. So, you really want to get everything in your room. My bedside table, my laundry, my um, staircase light, all of my lights are literally red globes. So, at night, my neighbors probably think I'm in a brothel. <laughs> literally from the outside, my bedroom must look like a brothel. Um, and my housemate even jokes every now and then that uh, it's a bit of a brothel in here. But with my computer screens being a deep red color and it takes a while to get used to but it's just so so beneficial to my sleep and I know because if I'm with somebody else at this time of night that happens to put on a different light or I accidentally turn off my filter on my phone or accidentally turn off the filter on my computer even at the lowest brightness setting on my computer it actually stings my eyes. And I, I didn't realize until I'd spent a while with the red filters and the blue blockers that I now use as well on top of that. Blue blockers are just a type of uh, pair of glasses you can wear all day that help reduce the input of blue and white light, particularly blue, um, into your eyes. Now, it's it's only a very small proportion, but the, with the amount we stare at screens, the more that you can reduce, the better. So, these are the five things. Earpl- wear earplugs um, and get some good like waterproof ones. We- Get a sleep mask, experiment with ones that feel comfortable. Get blackout curtains and Velcro the gaps, the, the light gaps to the wall or to the windowsill or the frame. Make sure you have a cool bedroom so that your body can slip into the deep sleep cycles comfortably. And number five, red light filters and blue blockers. You want both. The more, the better. The, you, the sleep is the, it's the epitome of healthy life. So, you really want to make sure that you have good quality sleep. If nothing else, even your shitty diet will be made better if your body is is having good sleep. If you're suffering from any illness, good deep sleep cycles are going to be made better. So, I hope this has uh, helped you along the way to getting good sleep. <laughs> I'm really passionate about good sleep because these five things that I've just shared with you, it's next to no money. Like it's so cheap and it can be just a permanent change for your entire life and it makes such a difference. So, make sure you get yourself some good night's sleep, right? (laughs) All right, guys. I appreciate you being here. I hope this was useful. If you loved this episode, you know the deal. Take a screenshot, share it on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, whatever works for you, wherever you hang out. And make sure you tag me, at Maddie Lansdowne. Find me because I I often hear about people messaging me after the fact and saying, hey, you, you, uh, you didn't share my podcast share. And I say, did you tag me? 
and they didn't tag me, so I had no idea about it. So make sure you tag me on whichever platform that you use. Um, and also, in case you're interested, I've just started a free Facebook group as well for anybody that's interested in ongoing little health bits of information and to create a really amazing community. So Health Hacks for Humans is what it's called and I'm really excited to get that off the ground. So make sure you search it. I'll put a link in the comments below so that you can uh, join that too if you're up for it. So you're more than welcome to join the gang. (laughs) Anyway, as usual, love you guys and I will see you on the next episode. So many good episodes coming. I I can't wait to share. I'm excited. (laughs) Anyway, see ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.